This is the Daily Signal podcast for Tuesday, November 10th. I'm Kate Trinko. And I'm Rachel Del Judas. So while former Vice President Joe Biden has claimed victory in the presidential election, the Trump campaign has filed lawsuits contesting the results with current litigation pending in Pennsylvania, Nevada, Michigan, Georgia, and Arizona. Hans von Spakowski, manager of the Heritage Foundation's Election Law Reform Initiative and senior legal fellow at the Mies Center for Legal and Judicial Studies, joins me on the Daily Signal podcast to discuss. And don't forget, if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to leave a review or a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, and please encourage others to subscribe. Now, on to our top news. Former Vice President Joe Biden is saying that the 2020 race for the White House is finished and that people need to be wearing masks. Here's what Biden had to say via The Hill. My advisory council also includes experts on global health security so that we can restore U.S. global leadership to fight this pandemic. This is a crisis that affects everyone. As I've said throughout this campaign, I will be a president for every American. This election is over. It's time to put aside the partisanship and the rhetoric that designed to demonize one another. It's time to end the politicization of basic responsible public health steps like mask wearing and social distancing. We have to come together to heal the soul of this country so that we can effectively address this crisis as one country where hardworking Americans have each other's backs and we're united in our shared goal, defeating this virus. President Trump fired Defense Secretary Mark Esper Monday, announcing that and Esper's replacement on Twitter. Trump wrote, I am pleased to announce that Christopher C. Miller, the highly respected director of the National Counterterrorism Center, unanimously confirmed by the Senate, will be acting Secretary of Defense effective immediately. Chris will do a great job. Mark Esper has been terminated. I would like to thank him for his service. Pharmaceutical company Pfizer announced Monday that its coronavirus vaccine is 90% effective. In a statement posted Monday on its website in concert with Biotech, the company announced positive efficacy results for our phase three late stage study of our potential COVID-19 vaccine. The vaccine candidate was found to be more than 90% effective in preventing COVID-19 in participants. Pfizer said it's important to note that we cannot apply for FDA emergency use authorization based on these efficacy results alone. More data on safety is also needed, and we are continuing to accumulate that safety data as part of our ongoing clinical study. Secretary of Housing and Urban Development Ben Carson has coronavirus, according to his office. He is in good spirits and feels fortunate to have access to effective therapeutics, which aid and markedly speed his recovery. Coulter Baker, Carson's deputy chief of staff, said in a statement per USA Today. Meanwhile, Carson is far from alone. According to Johns Hopkins University's database, the U.S. now has had over 10 million cases of COVID-19 and over 230,000 deaths. Worldwide, including the U.S., there have been 50 million cases and 1.2 million deaths. Now stay tuned for my conversation with Hans von Spakovsky on the current election litigation pending in Pennsylvania, Nevada, Michigan, Georgia, and Arizona. Are you looking for quick conservative policy solutions to current issues? Sign up for Heritage's weekly newsletter, The Agenda. 
In the agenda, you will learn what issues heritage scholars on Capitol Hill are working on, what position conservatives are taking, and links to our in-depth research. The agenda also provides information on important events happening here at Heritage that you can watch online, as well as media interviews from our experts. Sign up for the agenda on heritage.org today. I'm joined today on the Daily Signal podcast by Hans von Spakovsky. He's the manager of the Heritage Foundation's Election Law Reform Initiative and senior fellow at the Mies Center for Legal and Judicial Studies. Hans, it's always great to have you with us on the Daily Signal podcast. Sure. Thanks for having me on. Well, before we go into the litigation that's happening right now, post-election, I just want to ask you top line overall, do you think it's reasonable to believe that voting irregularities or voter fraud uh, occurred in this election? Well, look, we know it already happened in um, elections going on this summer. So, yeah, it, it, it's, it's certainly uh, common sense to believe that happened. The, what we don't know is how, how big it was, how extensive it was. Uh, was it widespread? Was it just in isolated instances? And we just don't know the answer to that. So while former Vice President Joe Biden has claimed victory in this presidential election, uh, the Trump campaign is filing lawsuits, and there are currently lawsuits in Pennsylvania, Nevada, Michigan, Georgia, and Arizona. So I want to walk through all the litigation going on in each of those states, starting with Pennsylvania. Can you tell us what's going on there? Yeah, in Pennsylvania, they're contesting the fact that um, the uh, state Supreme Court extended the deadline for absentee ballots past the deadline set by the state legislature um, and the state legislature, you know, uh, under their deadline, you've, you've got to get your absentee ballot turned in by the end of election day. But the state Supreme Court uh, put another three days on that. And what what the Trump campaign is contesting is that the state Supreme Court doesn't have the, the constitutional power to do that. The state legislature does. They're the ones that are tasked with uh, and given the authority to set deadlines um, and the rules governing federal elections in their state. So if the state legislature wanted to extend the deadline, I mean, they could do that. But here the court stepped in and did it. And what they're contesting is the counting and inclusion of any absentee ballots that were received after Election Day. Well, before we move on to the other states in Pennsylvania, I believe there are about at least 21,000 dead people on the voter rolls there. Uh, do you think that there is a potential uh, possibility that some of those ballots that uh, obviously may have gone to dead people and could have been used fraudulently, do you think that's something that may have happened? Yes, that's a distinct possibility because, in fact, we know um, that records from past elections indicate uh, that individuals uh, who are dead but remain on the voter rolls mistakenly are credited uh, with having voted in elections. In fact, we've got cases in our uh, election fraud database at Heritage of uh, individuals who were convicted of casting a ballot for someone who was deceased. How many times and how many votes that may have happened with in this election? I mean, we just don't have those records yet, so we don't know. Well, one more Pennsylvania question before we move on uh, to Nevada. Rudy Giuliani, who's the former mayor of New York City and the personal attorney to President Trump, has spoken very positively of litigation in Pennsylvania. So I'm curious what you think. Do you think there's a solid case that can be made for the Trump campaign in Pennsylvania? Well, I think they're on solid constitutional grounds where they dispute the changes made by the state Supreme Court. And in fact, the 
state legislature agrees with that. The state legislature also um, uh, appealed the decision of the state Supreme Court. Uh, so I think they're on solid constitutional ground there. Um, the question is, will the Supreme Court take the issue up um, and, and make a decision on that? So you've talked a lot about Pennsylvania, Hans. Can you now walk us through the legal challenges going on in Nevada right now? Well, in Nevada, um, there's a lawsuit claiming, uh, again, problems with the voter registration list and that individuals who are not residents of the state, but in fact, are not only residents of neighboring states like California, but actually voted, for example, in California and in Nevada. So again, um, there's a dispute over the fact that there may have been illegal and invalid votes cast in, in that election. You know, uh, people need to understand it's not necessarily illegal to be registered in more than one state. Uh, that often happens uh, through no fault of a voter when they simply move from one state to another. But if you take advantage of that and you cast a vote in two different states in the same election, that in fact is a criminal violation of the law and in most places actually is a felony. Well, now let's look at Michigan. There's litigation happening there to what's going on in Michigan. Well, in Michigan, it's everything from uh, disputing and challenging the fact that, for example, in Detroit, uh, Trump and GOP campaign uh, observers were not allowed, they were barred from being in the downtown center in Detroit where they were uh, counting ballots. That is a violation of state law. State law allowed them to be there. And uh, that brings up issues of, you know, why would uh, local officials violate state law, keep out observers? What were they doing there? There's also been issues apparently about a glitch in the software used there uh, that apparently switched uh, votes um, between candidates. And in fact, there was uh, one particular race there in which uh, the Democratic challenger was declared the winner and then um, the Republican uh, incumbent was told not too long later that in fact he had won the election. And so there's concerns that that particular glitch in that software, which is widely used, uh, may have caused other problems. Well, let's move on to Georgia and Arizona. Sure. What's going on there? And uh, can you just walk us through uh, the different scenarios that we're seeing unfold in Georgia and Arizona? Part of the problem in Georgia is um, the Trump campaign uh, produced witnesses uh, saying that, for example, in one of the counties there, uh, election officials were accepting, processing, and counting absentee ballots that were received past the state deadline. The, the deadline in Georgia is the um, closing of polls on election day, and there are witnesses saying that, in fact, uh, they continue to accept absentee ballots after that time. There are also claims being made that, uh, again, individuals who aren't actually living in the state anymore are registered to vote and may have cast ballots. Um, and you know, the margin, the margin there of, of difference between the two candidates is is only about eleven thousand votes, which is a tiny amount out of um, all of the ballots that were cast. And and by the way, is within um, within the percentage that allows for a recount to be requested by a candidate. And I, I actually have no doubt the Trump campaign will probably ask for a recount. 
So we've gone over what's happening in Pennsylvania, Nevada, Michigan, Georgia, and Arizona. Hans, how likely do you think it is that this election could be decided by the Supreme Court? Well, let me tell you the the problem that the Trump campaign faces. Um, Look, no matter what the merit of the claims they are being made, um, they're under two problems, or they're faced with two problems. One, a time crunch. Um, It is enormously difficult to gather enough evidence to show that an election outcome was compromised in the short amount of time you have uh, after a national election like this. Keep in mind that the uh, states have to certify the outcomes in time for the electors and, uh, and the electoral college to meet at the beginning of December. So it is just, it's just very difficult to do that. Second, they face the problem that courts and judges, uh, even when they are presented with substantial evidence of misconduct or mistakes or other issues that compromise the outcome of the election, uh, courts are very reluctant to overturn elections. So that makes all of this, uh, frankly, an uphill battle for the Trump campaign to produce enough evidence in time to show that the results of the elections in a number of states were compromised. We've heard a lot of people talk, and I've had conversations, seen this on social media as well as in person. And the question I keep hearing, Hans, is that you know people are talking about how we have most of the results, if not all the results, for so many of these House and Senate races, but we still don't have all the ballots counted for the presidential race. Why is this the case? Well, I frankly don't understand that myself, and I, I was shocked at the way certain jurisdictions, including including Fulton County, Georgia. Fulton County is the uh, Atlanta metropolitan area. It's the largest county of the state. How they simply stopped counting um, in the evening of Election Day, and I really don't understand that. And the reason I don't is because I actually, 20 years ago, was on the Board of Elections in Fulton County, Georgia, when I still lived down there. And we we never stopped counting the ballots. We kept going. We had reserve teams in place to take over when people got tired uh, so that we could get the results of the election in as soon as possible. And part of the delays apparently are these, uh, what I think are unexplained and unwise decisions by election jurisdictions to to not continually uh, keep the count going. Well, let's talk a little bit about voting irregularities. Um, On Friday, I had spoken with uh, an election lawyer who had volunteered as representative of President Donald Trump's re-election campaign in Allegheny County, Pennsylvania, who was working on an election day hotline. And he had told me on the podcast about multiple instances of voting irregularities that he witnessed, including eyewitness testimony from a county worker who said that there was tampering with the machine in Allegheny County before the day of the election, and also multiple issues with poll watchers uh, not being able to observe the ballot counting process. Hans, I'm curious, what have you heard when it comes to voting irregularities in this election? Oh, I've I've had people contact me uh, with those kind of incidents and, and many more, and all of those are very concerning. Um, you know, with electronic voting machines and the computer scanners that are used, uh, the poll watchers are supposed to be there so that they can observe and see that the counters are set to zero when the polls open. And if, in fact, poll observers saw uh, the 
those machines being manipulated. So they already had votes on them before the polls even opened. That's clearly fraud that needs to be uh, investigated. Um, putting folks so far back, putting the observers so far back, they can't see what's going on is also dangerous because in fact, it allows election officials, remember there was a very large number of absentee ballots sent in much larger than the normal, what election officials are supposed to do is when they open up the outer envelope that has a the inner envelope in it with an absentee ballot, is they're supposed to check all the information the voter has provided. Make sure that the that the ballot is signed. Make sure that the registration information supplied by the voter is correct. You have to do all of those things before you can consider whether the absentee ballot is a valid ballot that should be counted. And I, I'm concerned that in places where they barred observers or put them so far back that they couldn't see that I wonder, did election officials just basically decide to waive all those state law requirements and simply count every absentee ballot coming in without checking to make sure it was a valid ballot? And that's the kind of thing that could compromise the outcome of the election. Well, Hans, let's talk about ballot harvesting for a minute. Do you think that played a role in this election? Yeah, I have no doubt it did because of the extensions of time, for example, um, for ballots to be received in Pennsylvania uh, after Election Day. Vote, vote harvesting, for people to understand it. Some states, unfortunately, have legalized vote harvesting, which means that they allow any stranger to show up at your door and offer to uh, return your ballot, and that's legal. And the problem with that is it means that uh, candidates and political consultants, um, party activists, campaign staffers, you're, you're putting something valuable, a ballot, into their hands, and you're hoping that maybe they'll deliver it um, without altering it or changing it, or if they know that you consistently vote for the opposite party, that they'll actually deliver it and not just throw it out. And I, I'm very concerned that uh, uh, the ability of folks to engage in vote harvesting and trying to collect ballots after Election Day from voters um, so that they can make sure those ballots get voted to change or uh, whatever the preliminary results showed is just, again, a very unwise and dangerous policy. Well, across the board right now, Hans, there are many voters who are concerned about fraud and how ballots are still being counted. Uh, do you have concerns about this election results being illegitimate? Well, I have concerns uh, so that, you know, I, look, I can't say that the election results are illegitimate. But what I can say is that there have been enough serious questions and serious concerns raised about the behavior of election officials in particular parts of the country, particularly uh, Michigan and Philadelphia, and even in Georgia, that I think that has to be investigated to see whether or not um, there was misbehavior or fraud or mistakes made by election officials that throw the outcome of the election in those particular areas in doubt. Well, Hans, thank you so much for making time uh, to walk us through these different instances of uh, litigation. It's great to have you with us on the Daily Signal podcast. Rachel, thanks for having me on. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to the Daily Signal podcast. You can find the Daily Signal podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. 
please be sure to leave us a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, and please encourage others to subscribe. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with you all tomorrow. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Kate Trinko and Rachel Del Judas. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.